thank you for your donation to Corbono, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the study of Scripture according to the mind of the Catholic Church. If you like this talk, we invite you to share our website, www.corbono.com, with others so that together we may participate in the evangelization of the third millennium. Our speaker, Najim Awad, lives in San Diego, California with his wife and seven children and has been studying and teaching scripture since 1995. Najib believes the Catholic Church holds and teaches the fullness of truth, and with his tremendous zeal and insight, he is able to communicate that raw truth without sugarcoating the teachings of the Catholic Church. He also believes that our job is not to change the truth, but to communicate it clearly and directly to others. And now, here's Najib. And welcome to this uh, last session on the angels. What I want to do tonight is rather uh, unusual. It isn't a Bible study per se, but it's a collection of uh, quotations about the relationship of the angels with the saints. And um, these these quotations are going to highlight or illustrate how angels work with us. It is very important that we come to realize the presence of the angels among us as we start the reading of the book of Revelation when we come back because otherwise we will think of the angels in the book of Revelation as a little bit of like a decoration you know, background noise, a filler, and nothing is further from the truth. I should like to remind you that in the Latin rite, uh, when we confess our sins, we say, um, and I ask the Blessed Mary, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me. Right? Mary, the angels, and then the saints, in this order. Right? And this is not coincidental. It's, it's the I confess, right? It's, uh, and, and then um, in that prayer, which is said uh, at the beginning of the Mass, we then, after confessing our sins, we say, and I ask the Blessed Virgin Mary, all the angels and saints and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. So that is, praying to God so that God may forgive my sins. You notice two things. First, the order, the hierarchy, the Blessed Virgin Mary, then the angels, then the saints. It's not coincidental. This is, um, this is conscientious. Um, because this is the order of uh, grace. This is in the order of grace. Right. Mary is above all uh, creatures. In fact, um, in the, in the, uh, in the um, declaration of her, um, I believe, Immaculate Conception, the Pope stated that the level of glory that Mary attained is incomparable to that of all the angels and of all the saints, and that that level is only understood by God alone. 
So put, other, put differently, all the graces and all the glories that God has bestowed or will bestow on all the angels and on all the saints put together is less than that which he has given his mother. And I will tell you right away, this is not an easy saying, what I'm telling you right now. Don't assume that if you don't understand it or if you're not accepting it, that you are, uh, you are guilty of something. You're not. This requires meditation. This is not something easy to absorb. Right. Um, but I'm going to shy away from that subject, otherwise I know what's going to happen to me. I'm going to start talking about Our Lady, and then here goes the subject on hand tonight, which is the angels. So I'm going to start, so this is a book, again, I'm going to remind you of those uh, references, a very good book, uh, concise, called The Angels, The Catholic Teaching on the Angels by Father Pascal Parente, uh, published by TAN, Father Pascal Parente, P-A-R-E-N-T-E, published by TAN, very, very good book, succinct and to the point, and uh, here he he quotes or he, he relates some of those uh, events that relate saints to angels. The first one is from the life of St. Margaret of Cortona, who died in 1297. Let me read to you um, a little passage here and then we'll uh, spend some time understanding exactly what's going on. I think this is important. In her youth, Margaret had led a life of sin for about nine years, but started by the violent death of him with whom she had sinned, she resolved to do penance for the rest of her life. And she, gave her, she then gave herself under the direction of Franciscan fathers to prayer, mortification, and to chastising the flesh, persevering in these efforts till death. The interesting thing here in this passage is that um, she knew herself to be a sinner and she knew what she had done and so when she could not understand how God could give such consolations light and charisms to a sinner our Lord and his angel came to reassure her I have been darkness I have been darker than night cried Margaret and Christ replied to her for love of you new light I bless the little cell where you live concealed in my love so you can see that our Lord will spare no effort when a soul returns to Him. No effort is spared on His part when a soul returns to Him. And then the guardian angel helped Margaret become aware of the mystical road to be traveled and he even marked for her the various stages of the ascent to the Father of Light. The angel said to her one day, You're like a house which has been set on fire. It will burn until it is completely consumed. Thus, you will remain in the fire of tribulation to the very end. Surrounded as you are by peace, you actually live in a state of war. Um, I'd like to spend a minute on this because it's a very important paradox of the life of grace. And it's important to understand it. What the angel is telling her is that your soul has been set on fire. What fire is he talking about? It is the fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire of grace. So one might be intuitively led to conclude, therefore, she will be living in bliss and happiness. Because if you have the Holy Spirit on you, how could you not be happy, especially when it's such a powerful fire? But something rather counterintuitive takes place. It's the opposite. 
that is the exact opposite that happens in the soul for the longest period called the purgation or the purification of the soul. And St. John of the Cross tells us there are two phases. The sensitive or the sensible part is when the senses are being purified. The five senses and the tongue are being purified. That, that's what he called the night of the senses. During this period, what the Holy Spirit is doing is working on our moral fabric to correct all the flaws that attach themselves to the senses. And then after that, we get into the night of this, um, the, the, the night where the soul itself is being purified. And that is the harder of the two. So effectively, this fire is shedding light on all the defects in the soul and allows and illuminates the intellect to see those defects. And as the intellect sees those defects, and being so close to God's presence, those defects become unbearable, intolerable, because they are um, they're li they're like little specks of dust which prevent the statue, if you will, to be perfect. Just as uh, uh, Michelangelo, when he had finished Moses, he had sculpted Mo Moses out of a big chunk of rock. Pardon? No, I think it was Moses in this case. Yes. After he has finished Moses, he took the, the, the hammer and threw it at the statue and said, Speak. It was so lifelike. He wanted it to speak. Right? So, so, so it is, in, the, in this case, where you're being purified, you get to a point where, where the sins, even the minute ones, become intolerable because of the great love that is really taking hold of the soul. That's why it sounds counterintuitive. That's what's happening to her. Outwardly, it's peaceful, but inwardly, it's a war that is being waged. And I'll tell you right now that if the Holy Spirit does not hold the soul who is in that state and keep it firmly, that person will break. This person will go crazy. It, the pressure of God's light illuminating the soul and the sinfulness of the soul are such that it, cause, it can cause a major conflagration. And the only thing that keeps it together and holds it is the light of the Holy Spirit and allows this person to function outwardly as if nothing is happening. So it is very difficult for the un untrained eye to really understand what's going on in a soul who is going through those difficult times. Because this person may at some time, may at some point show irritability. It might express itself as irritability or impatience or imperfections basically because of the immense pressure that is going on on a daily basis inside inside that soul's that soul and it's very very hard for this person to act normally as if nothing is going on when there is actually war inside and I will tell you right now that unless this war is being waged in your soul um, you you're, you're still at the very, very beginning of your spiritual life, your babies. Because if you're living in perfect peace, you have not even begun the war. Because none of us, none of us can live in peace interiorly when God's light illuminates his soul. You can't. Because none of us is perfect, as St. Paul says. Right? Only Christ is. Therefore, this is the common, this is the common gateway of prayer to lead us through this battle. 
That's why we need the angel. It is almost, it is, it is, it is impossible to do it on our own. We, the, the guardian angel is absolutely necessary. He's not a, kind of a, an option, like when you go get a car. Right. Wheels are never an option on a car. Neer, neither is the steering wheel. Imagine if you say, no, no, I don't need steering wheel. That's optional. I'll just figure it out on my own. An angel is, is essential to your spiritual well-being. Without devotion to your God, an angel, it's very difficult to grow in grace. Very difficult. And as you can see here, he's guiding her through those stages, and he basically explained to her that there are three degrees, said the angel. In this pure love, whereby the faithful and fervent soul draws her God to herself. When the soul considers herself destitute of all divine love, nothing can comfort, can comfort her but God. It is then that the Most High inclines and sympathizes with the poor creature who has been given over to anguish. But before the common father of all goes into the soul that he has created and redeemed, love purifies the heart of all its illusions. And that's very important, this point. That, I mean, you can see how angels are so clear in their thinking. Love purify, purifies the heart of all its illusions. In other words, what is being really purified here is the intellect. So you can see clearly things as they are, which is the foundation of humility. Without humility, we will not go very far. And the foundation of humility is a clear-sighted intellect. Problems that our intellect is oftentimes hampered by illusions, by things we think are true when they're not, and things we hold on when we should not, and things we ignore when we should not ignore them. So God first purifies us and cleanses us and prepares us, and when we're ready, He unites our soul, He unites Himself to our soul. That's what our life is all about. That's the specific reason for us existing here. That's what we should be doing. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. But this, this um, course of action that we have to take very, very seriously. St. Francis of Rome, who died in 1450, she was born of a noble family in 1384, and at an early age of 12, which was common back then, girls married much younger, was given in marriage to Lorenzo Pontiani and became the mother of several children. In the year 1411, St. Francis's first son, Evangelista, almost nine years old, was near death. He had been a saintly and innocent child. Just before expiring, he smiled at his mother and said, Behold the angels who have come to take me to heaven, mother. I will remember you. Exactly one year from the day that the young evangelista had died, St. Francis was spending the whole night in prayer in the oratory of her palace in Rome. A whole night. Okay? And she was a mother of several children. And she didn't sit idle. She was actually doing her duty whenever she, uh, and, and, and worked very diligently. At the break of dawn, the oratory was filled with a brilliant light, and in that light she saw her little son, Evangelista, the same lovely features wearing the same clothes, but supremely beautiful and resplendent. At his side was another boy, more beautiful and more glorious, yet Francis had eyes only for her dear son. 
With open arms, the little evangelista greeted his mother and said, I am with the angels of the second choir of the first hierarchy. <clears throat> Together with this, my young companion, who, as you see, is much more beautiful and resplendent than myself. So the second choir, the first hierarchy, by the way, is what? Archangels. I am with the angels of the second choir of the first hierarchy. So you could have also said the cherubim, the, of the second choir, the cherubim, if you took the first hierarchy to be the... So it, that's, a, that's an understandable answer. But in this case, he started from below, went up, right? He is an archangel, and in heaven he occupies the place above mine. God sends him to you, dear mother, to be of comfort to you in this life on your earthly pilgrimage. He will not leave you night or day, and you shall have the sweet satisfaction of seeing him constantly with your bodily eyes. And then St. Francis, then, after the, depart the, the departure of her son, begged the Blessed Spirit to enlighten her in her doubts, meaning enlighten the intellect, assist her in her difficulties, strengthen her will, defend her against the assaults of the devil, so control her, um, her uh, the, the gateway or the safeguard for her passions and for her senses, making her more and more acceptable in the eyes of God. The brilliant light of this angel's countenance was such that St. Francis could not gaze on him without hurting her eyes. She therefore avoided fixing her eyes on the angel himself and looked rather on the glow of light that surrounded him. Um, this angel resembled in stature a boy of nine, only a little taller than the ordinary child of that age. He had lively and sparkling eyes and the sweetest expression on his lovely face. Of course, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a form that the angels put on to be, made, to be visible. He doesn't look like this in his essence. We need to understand that, all right? Angels are not cute, fluffy babies with red cheeks and two little wings, all right? They can take on those forms because babies are the closest thing to Jesus' heart. So they like to imitate what Jesus loves, and they will do it gladly. But it doesn't mean that this is what they are by any stretch of the imagination. Let's keep that in mind. He wore a white tunic and over it a tunicle that reached his feet, clear as light and an ethereal color, something like sky blue and flaming red. The brilliant light that came from his hair was such that Francis was able to read her office at night or go through the house most safely as at midday, without the use of any candle or any other light. Talk about energy saving. See, we need to put our gods and angels more to use. And she noticed that his, his, his strength was in his hair. And any time she would be attacked by the devil, the angel would simply move his head. And when his hair moved, the devil would flee. Why do you think so? Why do you think it's in his hair? Because he uses conditioner. Just kidding. Why do you think it's in the hair? Hmm, that's a nice, interesting angle. The devil means his vanity. But I don't think it has something to do with hair. Okay, Samson. What about Samson? Yeah, yeah, Samson. Remember Samson? Right? He lost his strength when what happened to him? He got a mohawk cut. I mean... He got his hair, right? Why? Side of priesthood, side of tribe. What promise? The Nazarene promise. He was consecrated to God. And as such, God stated in, um, I don't recall exactly where, but, but what God told them is that when someone is consecrated to me, he becomes a Nazarene, he will not drink strong wine, and he will not have his hair cut. Right? And Jesus was also called a Nazarene, 
and Jesus had long hair, right? So again, it's an indication of the priesthood of Christ, from which he derives his power to fight the demon so easily. We need to understand that in an angel there are two sources of power. There's the natural, the nat. Because remember, angels are natural beings; they're not supernatural beings, right? Their nature is different than ours, but they're natural nonetheless. So the natural strength of an angel, but added to this, is the grace or the power of grace received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is Christ who defeated the devil, not the angels. I mean, the angels threw him on earth, but it is Christ who basically defeated him. And the angels also derive their strength in battle on our behalf from Christ. So everything goes through Christ. Everything is with Christ. Everything is in Christ. The day on which Francis joined her community in 1436, she had a vision in which she saw a Lord seated on a high throne and surrounded by myriads of angels. When the angelic choir of the powers came to the Lord, he appointed one of the highest spirits in their rank to be henceforth Francis' special guardian in place of the archangel that assisted her for the last 24 years. In his assumed human form, this Holy Spirit was even in every respect more beautiful and resplendent than the archangel. He manifested far greater power and courage. His presence alone was enough to put into flight any evil spirit. In his left hand, he carried three golden palm branches, the symbols of charity, firmness, and prudence, three virtues he thus constantly inculcated to St. Francis. Neither of those angels were, by the way, her guardian angel. Those were given to her because she had a task to carry. She had, she had founded a, uh, an order of re a religious order and she was uh, helping them. And so those angels were given her in addition to her guardian angel. And St. Thomas teaches us that people who, uh, who, like for instance the Pope or a bishop or a cardinal, will be given additional angels to, to allow them to carry their task. Um, Without fear of exaggeration, though, the presence of the angels is, is never more admirable than in the life of Saint Gemma Galgani, who died in 1903. Uh, first of all, Saint Gemma saw her guardian angel all the time, and she was really surprised when she found out that not everybody did. She was a very innocent soul, and she was living with her aunt, and her life is very well documented. I'll give you some references. I, I do recommend that you do read uh, uh, either her diary, St. Gemma's diary, her autobiography, or her life written by Father uh, Germano Stanis, Stanislao, who was her spiritual director and who uh, walked with her throughout her life. So St. Gemma saw her guardian angel all the time. And what Father, um, what, her, what her spiritual director said, Father, um, yes, Father Germano Stanislao said that every time she'd be in his presence doing spiritual direction, he'd be talking to her and then she would turn around to talk to her guardian angel. And every time she would turn around to talk to her guardian angel, she would enter a state of ecstasy. Right? And he, he said it was, un, it was unmistakable every single time, no matter how often it happened, she would be completely abused to the world around her and then she would be completely aware of only of her guardian angel. And the conversation would go like this. She'd be, she'd be talking to him, and then she'd turn around, talk to her guardian angel, and back talking to him. But it gets better. Because she, she was away from him, she was in a different city, they needed to correspond. 
and she didn't have much money and she would have to go ask her aunt for money to put on the stamp and her aunt already provided for her so she didn't feel comfortable doing that. So instead of using the uh, post office of Italy she decided to use the heavenly office, the heavenly post office and she would give the letters to her guardian angel. And Father uh, Germano did a couple of tests. He would tell her, okay, here's what I want you to do. You give this letter to your aunt, and he would tell the aunt, I want you to lock this letter in a drawer, which the aunt would do. And invariably, the following day on his desk, the letter would be there. He did it three times, and without fail, the letter was there. And the way the letter would be delivered is from her guardian angel to his guardian angel to his desk. And so eventually, Father Germano kind of caught up on this scheme, and then he would send his guardian angel over. So they basically had a, you know, wireless <laughs> connection there. And uh, at one point, in, in his presence, St. Saint, um, Saint Gemma, and that's really the important thing. I want you to think of St. Gemma as this angelic creature who's all sweet and only saying yes to everything and smiling and no she was feisty and at one point she had she got into an argument with her guardian angel because she would not concede the point and then father had to remind her of whom she was talking to at the same time her guardian angel was severe with her oftentimes he would be severe with her he because he wanted her perfection so he worked with her on every single point so it wasn't just you know, him being there fluttering around and then sending roses down. He, he was uh, severe with her and she, she would say that uh, what would make her cry is when she would look at his countenance and she would see the, his face which was very severe and that would make her cry. She could not stand seeing him so severe with her. And when time came for confession, so as she was in, in her ecstasy, people recorded what she was saying and so for instance, so here is, now here her words were taken down writing by those present. I am afraid. Oh, why do you leave me alone at such a time? The devil had been urging her not to go to confession. This is a, a note. It is not true, you know, that you were here. I looked around so many times and I didn't see you at all. She's talking to her God and angel. You ask me whether I'm going to be sincere with the confessor? Of course, and I will tell him everything. I know, I know what is the first thing to tell him. It is that thing that happened yesterday. It is not so. That is the first thing. Do not confuse me now. She was Italian, you know. Yes, I understand well. The first is that of yesterday. Talk about Father Germano, sincere and obedient. I understand it all now. Oh yes, I'm going. I paid no attention to him, but he was dressed just like yourself. Now she's talking about the devil. Okay? He was dr dressed just like yourself. Don't give him your clothes anymore. She's telling her God and angel, don't give him your clothes anymore. Let him come dressed as a devil. Otherwise, I nearly believed him. Does Jesus, does Jesus wish anything else? After I have been to confession, are you coming back to tell me whether you're satisfied? That's how she talked to her God and angel. Now, guess what? You can do the same. The same thing. The fact that she saw her God and angel, the fact that she saw her God and angel, would be the equivalent, if you will, of a mother who's holding her baby versus a mother who has a pregnant baby in her womb. Both of them have a baby. In one case, the mother is seeing the baby. In the other case, she's not. But it's the baby. It's real. 
it's substantial, it's there. And the mother can talk to the baby even in the womb. We can do the same thing with our guardian angels. And the more we really take them seriously, the more you get to hear their voices in your conscience. And yes, you will argue with them. And you're going to resist. Oh yeah, I'll do it later. And then you realize you forgot. And you're going to be sorry that you forgot. You're going to have another thing to add to your confession. Okay? So this is not something... I mean, the special thing is that she could see him and talk to him in this way. That's extraordinary. But the fact that this communication was taking on, the fact that the guardian angel was actually guiding her, is nothing extraordinary in the angelic world. All the guardian angels wish to do the same thing. Just we have to be... We have to listen. And the last thing I'll tell you about this before we move on is that if you're thinking, well, you know, she's, she's blessed because she was able to see him, I will remind you of the words that our Lord said to Thomas. Is it because you have seen me that you believe? Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Here is another uh, testimonial that I'd like to read to you, taken from this little book. Again, very sweet, very innocent, written uh, at the request of her spiritual director. This is uh, the autobiography of Sister Maria Antonia, called Under Angel Wings, again published by Tan. Um, two quick passages to illustrate how angels help us and protect us. In the year 1908, a circus company came to Jaguarao. I am probably massacring this word, but massacring this word, but anyhow. The circus pitched its big tent on a piece of land set aside for this purpose, which was only two streets from our home. On our way to school, she was eight years old, by the way, when this is happening. All right, this is an eight years old girl who's going through this. On our way to school, every day we passed the circus. One night, my father took us to see the performance. Afterward, my father said, to, said that the circus acts were not very good and that the entrance fee would be too high even if it were only a penny. However, my opinion was altogether different from that of my father and mother. I thought the circus the most beautiful thing in the world, and I would gladly have gone to see it every night. I was enchanted by the different acts, for example, when the little dogs climbed to the top of, the high rope, of a high rope ladder and from there jumped into a white sheet held extended by the attendants. I was thrilled to see the little girl walking on a big ball and to see an older girl hanging by her feet from a trapeze. But what delighted me most of all was the ugly clown with his face covered with powder. He kept turning somersaults so quickly that he seemed to be a great big ball rolling around. So each day when I was going to and returning from school, I felt attracted to the big circus. I always wanted to stop and look through the big gate, and my sisters had to pull me by the hand to get me away from there. I thought how wonderful it would be if my mother allowed me to play with those circus children. Then they would perform their acts for me and I would get a close-up view of the clown. So I resolved, on the day that my sisters do not have school in the afternoon, I shall return home, I shall be returning alone. And then I can enter the circus grounds. Everything happened according to plan. When I was returning alone from school at half past three in the afternoon, I went to the circus gate. There were many men, women, and children there, but I thought that they were not the performers because the latter would always be dressed in their beautiful costumes. I made my way to one of the men who was standing at the gate and smoking a big pipe. And I said to him, Mister, are you the owner of the circus? He answered, Yes. So I continued, I like the clowns so much and, I also the and also the children of my own size that I came to play with them. The man laughed and taking me by the hand, he said, Very well. 
Come, and I shall take you to them. I had not yet passed through the entrance of the big gate when I was prevented from going any farther, farther by my new friend, meaning her guardian angel, in such a way that I felt pulled in two different directions. The circus owner was pulling me by my right hand while my new friend pulled me by my left hand, in which I was carrying my school books. I do not know what my new friend did to the man. I know only that the man freed me suddenly and violently, saying, get out of here. Only then did I get frightened and run away from the place. When I reached the corner near our house, I looked at my new friend. Since his face was not sad, I forgot the whole incident quickly. But from that day, I was afraid of the big circus, and I never went there again. To this day, I do not know why my new friend prevented me from entering and did it with so much energy. Recalling that incident now, I realized that once again, my new friend saved me from some great evil to which I had exposed myself unwittingly. Much of the anxiety of parents could be resolved if they were to trust in the angels of their children. Instead of being anxious, pray to your guardian angels and then pray to the guardian angels of your children. They're very powerful. And then teach your children to have devotion to them. Their protection is substantial. It is real. These angels are real and they deal with reality better than we do. Here's another example. The incident which I'm now about to relate happened on the birthday of uh, a major. Her, her dad was in the army, so there was a major who had a birthday. And that evening, the major gave a banquet and a dance, to which my father took me. Both celebrations were held in the house of Captain Barcelos, and from there, everyone went to the house of the major. I was only eight years old at the time, so when we arrived at the house of Captain Barcelos, my father left me with the woman while he went to join the group of men. When everyone left for the major's house, I walked along very quietly. I remember well how I was dressed and that I wore a brooch bearing my name. This was in fashion at the time. Soon I noticed that my brooch had fallen off. I left the sidewalk and began to look for it along the gutter. In the meanwhile, the big group of men and women was passing by without paying any attention to me as I was bent over looking for the brooch on the ground. Finally, the whole group disappeared in the distance without missing me while I was engrossed in my search. Having looked for the brooch for some time without finding it, I gave up the search and only then did I notice that I was alone in the deserted and dark street. From afar, I heard the low murmuring of voices growing fainter and fainter. Frightened and feeling lost, I ran this way and that without knowing which direction I should take. I had run thus about two blocks when I was forced to stop from exhaustion and strong pain in my side. I rested against the wall on the street corner. Up to this point, I had not met anybody. But a few minutes afterward, I perceived that someone was coming in my direction from the end of the street. Thinking it was my father coming to, to look for me, I wanted to run to meet him. But my new friend, who up to now had been very reserved, prevented me from proceeding, just as he had done in the incident with the circus owner. As was my custom, I obeyed my new friend without the slightest resistance, and I returned to the place where I had been leaning against the wall. Now, however, I was very calm and without fear. I awaited tran tranquilly the approach of the person who was making his way toward me. Soon I could distinguish him. It was not my father, for my father would not be walking like that. It was a man wearing a smock who came staggering along from one side of the street to the other, stumbling at every step. I was not afraid. My new friend was there with me, but this time he was not at my side as usual. He was in front of me. I perceived him without seeing him with my eyes. Nevertheless, I kept very quiet, hardly breathing. The man would pass by me, and my new friend wanted me to keep very quiet. 
Soon the man came, staggering up to my place, muttering words I could not understand. He passed directly in front of me. His, he, he brushed against, his coat brushed against my legs, yet he did not see me. After the man had passed, I went with my new friend to the house of, major, of the major who was our neighbor. So there again, the protection afforded by the garden angels is real, and it's true. Whether in visible forms or not, so you need to remember that and train yourself to rely on your garden angel at all times. Because they're there and their willingness to help you is far greater than our willingness to be helped. I should like to point out to you that St. Margaret Mary Alacoque confirms that garden angels console their charges in purgatory. So those who end up in purgatory will have the garden angels there consoling them and praying on their behalf. They don't abandon you. Uh, Padre Pio, Saint Padre Pio, as you know, had more dealings with souls from purgatory and with angels than he had dealings with people on earth. In the case of Padre Pio's, the holy priest communicated not only with his own guardian angel, but also with the angels of those he had accepted under his spiritual care, his spiritual children. Once when Padre Alessio saw Padre Pio reciting the Holy Rosary, he approached him and was asked, and asked, didn't you see all, no, and was asked, didn't you see all those garden angels going backward and forward from, from my spiritual children, bringing messages from them? But if you ask him that question, didn't you see all those garden angels? There's a whole traffic going on. Angelic. Sometimes at night, while St. While Padre Pio was reciting the rosary, he was heard to say aloud such expressions as, tell her I will pray for her, or tell him I will knock at the heart of Jesus for this grace. All who heard him speak this way were convinced he was speaking with the guardian angels of his spiritual children. St. John Bosco recommends, when tempted, invoke your angel. He is more eager to help you than you are to be helped. Ignore the devil and do not be afraid of him. He trembles and flees at your guardian angel's sight. St. Joseph of Cupertino was known for his miracle. He was a, he's a wonder worker. And if you've not seen the movie... Um, the Recalcitrant Saint, it's an older movie, it's called The Recalcitrant Saint, which is based on his life. It's not his life, but it's based on it. I really recommend you see this movie. In any event, St. Joseph of Cupertino um, had such a great reverence for his guardian angel that he never entered his cell without inviting the angel to enter first. He didn't see him, but he knew he was there, and he would not enter his cell without first inviting the guardian angel. I'll tell you also that St. Bernard was devoted to the guardian angels. St. Francis of Assisi was very devoted to the angels. He remarked, walk with, us in, walk with us in the midst of the shadow of death. St. Francis said also that their presence must not be offended and that we must not presume to do before them what we would not do before men because in choir we sing in the sight of the angels and that they are our companions who are everywhere with us. And I'd like to end this series by um, some counsels that are given us on the way we should act regarding angels. Um, Venerable Mary of Agrita in the mystical city of God has a section entitled Instruction Given to Me by the Queen of Heaven. Now, of course, this is to be taken on. Uh, this is not the fide. This is not the faith of the church. But I think there is much that we can, much good that come out of those points. There are three points. The first is that 
you by insistent, insistent praise and acknowledgement show yourself thankful for the favor which God vouchsafed you in appointing angels to assist you, teach you and guide you through tribulations and sorrows. So Our Lady is making a point. You should be grateful for your guardian angel. You should thank the Lord for, for him. The second point is that you in every place and at all times preserve love and reverence towards those holy spirits as if you did see them with your eyes and that you dare not do before them what they, you would not do in public. And the third point, that you live attentive to the calls, urgings and inspirations by which these angels seek to rouse you, move and excite you to the recollection of the Most High and to the exercise of all the virtues. All the virtues. So what do we owe them? A holy priest named Père Lamy, who died in 1911, wrote, Nothing is so faithful as an angel. Our guardian angel very often saves us from accidents. We give him freedom over us, but what can the angel do when we are not in a state of grace? They want to help us, but are powerless. When we refuse respect to our Lord, we send his servants packing. And among us Christians, how many are there who implore their help and protection? A little prayer, good evening, my good angel, and so on. That's all. When we pray to our Lord, we serve the same Master and then leaves them liberty of action over us. We don't resort enough to the holy angels. They are there, but they are left alone. We don't turn to them sufficiently. And it is a worthy battle on all our part to train ourselves in relying on our energy. This is training, just as you would go to the gym. It requires serious training to redirect your mind to God and angel. And I'll, I'll give some advice at the end as what can be done during the day to help with this. St. Bernard, who's a doctor of the church, tells us that we owe our guardian angel profound respect for his presence, gratitude for all the benefits he confers upon us, and confidence in his protection. So respect for his presence, meaning respecting his dignity and the superior state that this holy being is in compared to us. Second, gratitude for all the benefits that he confer upon us. All that comes to us from the Lord comes to us through the hands, through the, our guardian angel. And then third, we must trust, we must have confidence in his protection, that he's here to protect us. In whatever place you may be, in whatever secret recess you may hide, think of your guardian angel. Never do in the presence of your angel what you would not do in my presence, he was talking to his, uh, to his, uh, um, to the monks of his order. And more recently, I think more recently, uh, a, a priest of the Society of Jesus, Reverend Bruno Vercru Vercruci, in a book called New Practical Meditations, elaborate on the three obligations we owe our angel, as suggested by Saint Bernard. First we, should, first, we should show respect for his presence by acting in his sight even when we are alone, as if we were in the company of some great person. Second, our gratitude for his charity should express itself in docility to his inspirations and in thanking him every night for what he has done for us. Third, we should demonstrate our confidence in him by consulting and invoking him in all our doubts and wants with the convictions that this will never be done in vain. And in order to do those things, which are very important, this is not an optional little thing that you can tack on to your 
life of faith. This is essential for growth in a spiritual life. Because God, the Lord Himself, when He, when you were born on the day of your, of, on the, on, on your birthday, when you, when you came out of, you, of the womb of your mother, He appointed an angel for you. Don't take God's gift lightly or don't throw it by the sideways and tell the Lord, I don't want your gift. I'm going to ignore what you gave me. I'm going to ignore your wisdom and your way of dealing with me. I'm going to choose mine. Don't do that. And here, here, here are some guidelines which you may wish to consider. Um, put aside some time for prayer and don't make it less than 15 minutes and then strive to work to an hour. Strive to work to an hour. And do not allow yourself to be stopped by the usual excuses. I don't think you have one excuse that I have not heard. Better yet, I don't think you have one excuse that I did not come up with. All right? I'm a, I'm a great manufacturer of excuses. Strive to... In, so, commit yourself to prayer. At least 15 minutes a day w with the intention of working towards an hour. And when I say with the intention of working towards an hour, I'm leaving it up to you to set a date on a calendar where you are praying an hour. Not with just the intention of praying, you know, like the guy who had a, a sign in his store, tomorrow there will be special. It was never a special, right? Because it's always tomorrow. Don't do that. Think to yourself, okay, I'll need six months. Fine. My recommendation to you is you should be praying an hour within three months. Experience suggests that anything longer than that will fall by the wayside. Don't, put, don't make your goal longer than three months. In three months, you're praying an hour. Yes? I'm going to get to it. Right now, I'm just talking about the time. And the reason why I insist on the time, because the time is essential. The time is essential. It's not just quality. It's quantity. Okay? How do we know that? I'm not making that up. The Lord Himself, when He prayed, didn't sit 15 minutes. He prayed all night. Okay? Why? Because in that communion with God, there is your being. That's where you are. This is what will make you happy. You're created to be united to God. It starts in prayer. So you can't be serious if you're only spending 15 minutes and you can't do any further than that. Okay? Don't let yourself stop by falling asleep. If you fall asleep, that's okay. Keep at it. Don't let yourself stop by excuses. If you can't do it one day, that's fine. Come back to it the following day, right away. Now, when you start, here is a menu that I would recommend to you. It's a good one. It's not the only one. There are other ones. This is a good one to start from. Start by the glory. You know the glory, right? Yes? Amen? Thank you. Getting some reaction here. Start with the glory. Glory be. Right? So, most of the prayers are going to be taken from 
you guessed it, the liturgy. Okay? That's the best source of prayer. It starts with the glory be. But I would recommend also the following. Because you're gonna, you may be tempted to fall in what I call the, you know, the express lane. Alright? You sit down and here you go, turbocharge. You start your prayer, 30 words a second. Your brain is just go, go, go all day long. Guess what the brain's going to do when you sit to pray? Go, go, go. I got this to do, I got that to do, I got this to do, I got productivity. So what you're going to be doing is stop, stop, go back, and slow down. Alright? But don't try it more than four times. Okay? Just accept the fact you're not slowing down as, well, as much as you want to, but at least you're making an effort. Because you really want to give God the glory. So you say the glory first. Then, the Our Father. And the reason why they're in this order, it isn't because the Our Father is, more, is less important. It's actually more important. But hopefully the glory will put you in the state of mind and remind you that you are in the presence of the Most Holy Trinity because it addresses the three persons of the Trinity. It's a Trinitarian prayer. So then you realize you're in front of the Trinity. It gave you maybe some time to quiet down so you can get into the Our Father. Now you say the Our Father, again, slowly, as slowly as you can. And then when you hit the part of the Our Father where it says, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, right? So you say, forgive us our trespasses, and you stop. And there you invoke your guardian angel, and you say, who, to whom must I forgive today? To whom must I forgive today? And you're going to take time to do an examination of conscience. Right there, in the middle of the Our Father, you do the examination of conscience. In the presence of your Father, you ask your guardian angel to help you, and you go through it. Alright, now you finish the Our Father. Move on to the following very, very useful prayer. Again, those are suggestions. Eventually you'll find your own. But those are suggestions that are that proved their fruits. I would recommend that you spend the next five minutes, no more than five minutes, meditating on the seven sorrows of Our Lady. So now, you've invoked, you've put yourself in the presence of, of the Trinity, and you've prayed the Our Father, you've done an examination of conscience, you ask your God an angel to help you, now you ask your God an angel to help you pray with Mary. And now you're going to meditate on the seven sorrows of Our Lady. Here they are. The first one is the presentation of the temple when Simeon told her, and your heart the sword shall pierce. You're going to spend 10 to 15 seconds, 30 seconds, maybe a minute, watching that scene in your head. This is, meditation is not about some, something mystical up there, it's very concrete. Simeon the priest is there, Our Lady is there, he's holding the infant baby and he's looking at her and he's just saying this to her. Okay? How is she reacting to this? What does that mean? What did it do to her? Okay? And then you say the Hail Mary. Again, say it slowly. The second is when they lost the child Jesus. Uh, no, sorry. The second is the, uh, the flight into Egypt. I want you to understand what it was for them to get up in the middle of the night and then go to Egypt when they didn't know where, where they were going, didn't speak the language, 
what it meant, what, it, what, this, what this meant to them. And I want you to walk with them on a journey, again, for maybe a minute. And then say the, 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 the Hail Mary. The third one is when they lost the child Jesus at the temple. The same thing. You spent time on imagining you being present with them. What did they go through, Mary and Joseph? What happened, to, to, what happened when they found Jesus at the temple? What did it mean for them to lose their child for three days? Okay. The fourth is Mary meets Jesus on the way to Calvary. The fifth is the crucifixion. The sixth is Mary brings... The, the, Jesus died and they brought his body down. And the seventh, Mary is placing Jesus in the tomb. Okay? Those are the seven sorrows of Our Lady and they will bring immense benefit to you. Do it every day. Now, you've done those and you've basically went through these prayers. It should take you from beginning to end ten minutes. Right? For the next five minutes, take a passage from the Gospel that you like. Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, or any passage you like, or any passage from the Gospels, stick to the Gospels. All right? Stick to the Gospels. And open it, read it. It shouldn't be very long, two to three verses. Short. Close it and put yourself in the presence of Christ. Do that. If you can do it for a long period, great. It's gonna, it is going to be very beneficial to you. If you can do it only for the short period, do it for the short period. That's fine. And then, when you're done, have a conversation with our Lord. Things you want to tell Him freely, you tell Him. Finish with that, and then before you end the prayer, thank you, God and Angel. All right? This will anchor you in the spiritual life and will begin the process of tuning you to His presence. You do that every day. The other thing you can do is that if you don't know this prayer, learn it by heart. And say it carefully. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom's God love, entrust me here. Ever this day, be at my side to light and guard, to rule and guide. All right? You can find it on the on Google and say that prayer in the morning and say it in the evening. And then for the rest of your day, strive as much as you can. Whenever you have something that you have to do, stop and ask, you got an angel, what do you think? In, in the beginning, it's going to sound really strange. Okay? For, on account of two things. Number one, on account of the fact that people who talk to themselves typically are considered to be crazy, but you're not talking to yourself, talking to your God and angel, and account of the fact that the devil will do everything to make you sound stupid. Sound stupid. Why are you doing this? No one's listening to you. Ignore all this. Persevere. What do you think? Take the time. What do you think? Train yourself. It's going to be a battle. You're going to forget. Most of the time, you're going to forget. Come back to it. 
That's why this prayer, if you anchor it every day, you have your anchor. It's going to grow from there. Without this kind of approach, it's going to basically stud your day with moments of prayer. It's going to be very, very hard for you to familiarize yourself with your guardian angel and to take him seriously. Once you do that, he's going to start to help you more and more effectively because you've opened yourself to his aid. And that is so essential. Um, who was it that said that? I think it's uh, St. John Vianney who said that uh, everything he did, every good thing he did, he attributed to his guardian angel. And it is, and I only pray that you come to a point to realize how true this is. He was not exaggerating. This is truth. Now, before we close tonight, I'd like to, um, I have 30 of those. If not enough, please share. I'd like to re kind of, um, for the next uh, five minutes, I'm going to take five more minutes of your time, and then look at what we've done so far. I'd like to kind of remind you of what we have accomplished and where we're going. When we started this journey on the book of Revelation, this was our plan. And what I've explained back then is that there are really two approaches to the book of Revelation. One, what I call top-down, where you would start with the book itself and then hop a bunch of different places in Scripture to explain a specific passage. And I thought that that was going to be dizzying on account of the fact that there are so many references required for us to begin to understand this book. Instead, there's this bottom-up approach, which is what I've outlined here for you. We started by the four senses of Scripture, and on numerous occasions, I have told you how essential this is. I hope that by now, many of you who have been with us from the beginning appreciate the importance of those four senses, and that without them, we can very quickly get lost in trying to understand what the book is trying to say. Then we talked about the covenant, and we spent time understanding what the covenant is and the blessings and the curses associated with it. And I hope by now that you're starting to think covenantally, that you're becoming people of the covenant, because Christians are people of the covenant, not just in reading scripture, but in their life outside of the church. If we're not living covenantally, if we don't understand the political events of today, as they're raised to the Middle East or elsewhere, covenantally, we will never live in peace. Then we spent time understanding the apocalyptic and prophetic symbolism in the Bible, the meaning of the words, the colors, the animals, the signs. There are so many of them. And I would uh, recommend that at one point you refresh your memory with those things uh, because they're going to be very important to us when we start going through the book itself. Once you understood those symbols, we were able to get into Isaiah, and, and then we, unfortunately, we did Isaiah and Daniel, but we did not do, let me remember now, I know we didn't do Jonah and Joel, we'll skip those, we'll have to come back to them at one point, and I don't think, I don't remember doing Jeremiah either. So we did Isaiah and Daniel and then Ezekiel, and we saw how Ezekiel is important, I mean all of them are important for, as a background for the book of Revelation. So many 
so many symbols in the book of Revelation that show, show, show in those books. Following that, we spent time understanding the temple, its purpose and its meaning and its liturgy. Why? Because the temple looms large in the book of Revelation, in the life of Christ, in many of the symbols that we see and the rituals that will appear in the, in the book of Revelation are taken from, from the temple. We talked about the end times in the, new, in, the, in, the, in the New Covenant. We saw how Christ speaks of the end times and we came to understand when he's speaking of the end times, he was not directly speaking of the end of the world. He was speaking of the end of the Old Covenant. But because of the four senses of Scripture, we know that that literal sense applies also eschatologically to the end of the world, as it applies to ourselves as persons. We saw the connection between those. And then we looked at the church of the first century, what they were going through, how they were facing difficulties and descents, and, and, uh, and how difficult it was for them to formulate certain notions or concepts describing Christ is, and a number of heresies that started to spin off, spin out of uh, these uh, early times because so many people wanted to take the faith in different directions and how the church kept, kept that bark straight, the bark of Peter. And now we spend time on the angels and their importance. All of these combine in the book of Revelation. All of them. So I do recommend that if you have not, um, if you've not listened to all this, all this, and if you had to make a choice, I definitely would say the four senses of Scripture, the covenant, are very, very important. Um, and at least I'll give you a grounding in the way and the approach we're going to take to re reading the book of Revelation. The others are also essential, but um, if you don't have time, I would recommend the first two. Yes, 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 definitely. We are going to have to come back and remind ourselves of certain things, but my goal is to spend 20 talks on the book of Revelation, one per chapter. And this way we could, without what we've done so far, there was no way I would be able to do it. I'm still not completely convinced I'm going to be able to pull it off in 20 talks. But, but I'm going to give it a, a, a serious try. Um, there will be m many times we'll point back to what we talked about, but hopefully it will not take you long to remember uh, what, what is it that we were talking about. So we will resume then after uh, a labor, labor Day in September. In the meantime, continue your, uh, if, you, if you started that uh, Dovina to St. Raphael, and I hope you did, uh, continue it, finish it. And, uh, and uh, if you have not begun, please begin on this journey of prayer and uh, confession. I can't emphasize the importance of confession. And those things are going to help you better understand Scripture because Scripture is going to be closed to those who are not in the state of grace. Right, this is not a book. This is the living face of Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture is. And he shines his light on those who, who loves him. God bless you.
We hope you've enjoyed this talk from Carbono. For more information about this and other talks, please visit our website at www.carbono.com. Thank you and God bless you.